Uh, we want to welcome you to worship uh, this morning. We want to first of all say Happy Mother's Day, uh, and it's a, it's a great day for our mothers, and we want to uh, lift them up and extol them for the great gift that they are, and we are glad you are here uh, in worship as we uh, honor our mothers. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we uh, give you thanks uh, for the mothers that you have put into our lives and uh, how they have impacted us and uh, molded us in so many different ways, and we pray that they might feel honored today, uh, but that they might also learn some things if they're listening to the scriptures uh, to help them grow in godliness. Uh, and we just pray your blessings upon them, and thank you for what they mean to us. And we pray that you would uh, anoint the scriptures today, use them in a profound way in all of our lives, uh, that we would move uh, toward knowing you and know, knowing you in a deeper fashion because we've spent time in the scriptures today. We just thank you for your presence and, uh, and for what will be accomplished for eternity because we've paused to look at the eternal word of God. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, scripture is clear uh, regarding the importance of following godly examples. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 3 uh, puts this uh, premise in perspective when Peter says this. He says, uh, he's speaking to elders of a church, spiritual leaders, he says that uh, this is how they are to function. He says, nor yet as lording it over uh, the, uh, those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So the, an elder, uh, by definition, it's, it's not about his power and his position, uh, using that to control the sheep in a, like a despotic way, but it's, but it's all about proving to be an example, a, a, an example really of Christ-likeness. So the, the Greek word here is most instructive. It's the word tupos, uh, which is from which we get our word type. Uh, and this is an interesting word, uh, lexically. Uh, it, I'll read you what uh, it says in the uh, Dankers and Bowers uh, Greek lexicon regarding what the word can denote. Uh, he says it denotes uh, a mark made as a result of a blow or pressure. So like if you were making uh, ancient coinage uh, uh, and you struck a coin uh, that was a soft metal with, an, with, a, with a template, uh, it would become a type of that. Uh, if you had a, a, a ring, uh, like a king, uh, that you uh, stuck into hot wax on the back of a scroll to put your insignia on it, uh, when you transferred that uh, insignia over to that hot wax, uh, that became a, a blow or a pressure, became a type, because it began to uh, emulate that. Uh, it was also uh, used, according to Danker's lexicon, uh, of an object that was formed to resemble something else, especially uh, it is used lexically in the Greek culture of uh, the, the uh, creation of a, of a statue. So if, when an artisan took a, a, a block of marble uh, and looked at a person in question, whoever that might be, might be a king, somebody important, uh, and he made that particular piece of marble look like them, that was a type, it resembled them. So when you take that uh, concept that, Paul, uh, that uh, Peter uses here, uh, he's applying to spiritual leaders, he tells spiritual leaders uh, that they are first and foremost to be an example uh, to the flock, that Christians should be able to look at an elder and understand what it's like to walk with Christ and what it's like to look like Christ just by how they live their life. So it's a tall order uh, to be a spiritual leader because other people are, are called to look into your example. Uh, but when you think about Mother's Day, uh, who, who else is a great type uh, for you to follow, a great example for you to learn from that, but your mother? Uh, they are a powerful person in all of our lives, uh, and just as we, as we are called to look to spiritual leaders, elders, to typify their lives by emulating their behavior, we're also called uh, to, to study godly uh, people around us like a mother and emulate their behavior. Uh, you can think about how your mom uh, impacted you. Uh, she impacted you emotionally. 
cognitively, socially. She for sure affected your life financially since you uh, probably had no money growing up and she was the one supporting you and everything. Uh, and of course she hopefully uh, reached into your life in a spiritual fashion and impacted you uh, with eternal things. Now I realize that, that some, some unfortunately didn't have a mother uh, who knew God and walked with God uh, and it's most unfortunate because it is the most important thing in a life for a, for a child to come to know God and to walk with him. Uh, and I hope those that uh, had a mother who, who didn't know God and walk with him, uh, I hope that you have moved to find people in your life that do know God and walk with him, that you can emulate their behavior. Uh, and, and I pray that God would answer your prayers for the salvation of your mother as well. But uh, I was fortunate to have a mother who walked with God and knew God. Uh, and I studied her life. I am 62 year old, years old now, uh, and I have studied her uh, all of my life of what it means to be a godly person. Uh, she has taught me uh, directly uh, and indirectly. And last year, uh, for Mother's Day, uh, we paused and I did a, a little analysis of my mother's life as a type, uh, as an example to follow. And I uh, came up with a couple of principles of what she did right as a, as a spiritual woman of God and what that taught me as a, a young man of God. Uh, and I want to do this again because there's so much depth to a mother as you think about your mother. She was a godly woman of what they taught you. So the few concepts we talked about last year, uh, there's many more to talk about. And I want to add a couple uh, this year from the life of my mother and use her as a, as a type uh, to, to understand that God wants us to study godly people then emulate their behavior. Uh, I have three goals in doing this. Number one, I want to extol the godly mothers among us because we have many of them. Uh, many people here that walk with God and they do a great job in emulating behavior uh, that is uh, exemplary and worth following. So I want to extol them. Number two, uh, I, I want young mothers to understand just what does a godly mother look like that's older so they can then emulate that behavior and become that kind of mother. And number three, I want to challenge those mothers who don't know God uh, to see the value of knowing and walking with God and how that can impact your personal life and then your family life and the life around you. So I want to pause and just uh, ask the question that we posed last year uh, and put it into this format, what my mother did right, uh, and, and, and answer that. It's part two, and there's many things that, uh, uh, that she did do right, but I will first say uh, my mom will be the first person to tell you that, um, well, she was far from perfect. Uh, and uh, no mother is perfect. If they tell you they're perfect, they need to go to church and find out that uh, there's many imperfections about them. Uh, but she, she did make mistakes along the way. Um, could she have done things differently? Uh, sure, like not spank me as much would have been totally fantastic from my perspective. Uh, long before I knew who James Dobson was, uh, my mother let me know uh, straight away that uh, the book that she was reading called The Strong-Willed Child was written about me. Uh, and I'm like, who's James Dobson and who's the strong-willed child? Well, I, I knew from the very beginning uh, that uh, I, I was that young man uh, and my mother uh, was put into my life to help me conform to the image of God. Uh, so she did many things right. Uh, Irma Bombeck uh, said something a long time ago uh, that really might pertain to my mother back in those days, raising children. She said this. She says, when my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. And then when they're finished, I climb out. So she, it's hard doing humor with an empty room, as I've told you before, but hey, I do, I've got to do it, so it's too true. Hopefully uh, you're smiling at home because 
you might feel like that, especially under COVID, when you're at home 24-7 with the kids, there's no school for month on end, they're there, you know, 24-7. Uh, you might actually be in the playpen right now watching this service. I'm giving you the permission to kind of climb out and enjoy the, the service. But uh, all kidding aside, uh, my, my mother took control of us when we were unruly. But well, I want to focus on some things that, that she did right, some what I called timely traits last year. I want to add some more concepts to that this year. So we covered four concepts last year. I want to add the fifth concept uh, this morning, trait number five that she did right. Uh, she was, from my estimation, as I look back at her life, a woman of the word. This is the word of God. I mean, she, she was a woman of the Bible. Uh, now, she gave me many priceless gifts in her life. Uh, one priceless gift, as a mother does give to a child, was a listening ear. I mean, whenever I wanted to talk to my mom about really important things in my life, she always took the time to focus on, on us. So it didn't matter if I was 10 years old or 40 years old, uh, and I needed to, to talk to my mother about spiritual things and get counsel. She was always there. Um, on the other side of the equation, another priceless gift she gave me was uh, the, the gift of a confrontational word. That uh, didn't matter uh, what was going on in my life. My mom loved me enough uh, to come to me and, and say to me, uh, son, I think you're... Uh, that, that's, that's not a great decision there. Or that's sinful. You need to, you need to move away from that. Confrontational word. So important to, to move toward holiness. Uh, another priceless gift she gave me was a love of music. And how she did it, in case you don't know, is my sister Marla, you're older than me, uh, was taking piano. Uh, and my mom asked me one day, you want to take piano? And I'm like, why would I want to take piano? I, mean, I play baseball. And so she said, well, just go sit in the chair, enjoy the lesson, uh, listen to your sister. So I, okay, I wasn't doing anything. So I I went and I listened to Marla play her 30-minute lesson, and then the teacher looked at me and said, uh, it's your turn. It's my turn for what? She goes, well, it's your turn for a lesson. I, I ain't playing. Uh, nine years later, uh, when I went to college, uh, I, I had finished all my lessons, and I stayed with it. Now, the interesting thing was, as my mom gave us the gift of music, me and my sister Marla and my little sister Julie, um, my mother uh, was our taxi service. And so she took us to our lessons. She would do what any mother would do. She, she bunched up our lessons uh, so that Marla and I took them at the same time. But as we got older, you know, year five, year six of playing the piano together, uh, well, Marla would interact with me during my lessons. as She was supposed to be quiet sitting in her chair, uh, and she would say things to my teacher, Helen Kendrick. She would say things like, I told you he didn't practice his hand drills this week. I told you he didn't practice his arpeggios this week. I told you he didn't study his skills this week. And you can imagine how that went over with me, the strong-willed child. Uh, and so my mother saw the handwriting on the wall, being wise that she was, and she divided us up. And so for years, she had to drive us at separate times to this lesson. You can imagine how this would mess your life up if you took a child for a 30-minute lesson and then 30 minutes later they were done and then you had to go get the other child and then bring them back for another lesson. I mean, what would you do with yourself for like 30 minutes? But my mom did that for nine years that I can remember. Uh, that's, that's some kind of woman right there. Uh, but these were priceless gifts she's given me. So uh, music, I love music. So uh, now I thank my, my mom for giving me the gift to play because I play all the time. I played this morning. Uh, and I enjoy playing. It's, it's, a, it's fun, but it's also kind of worshipful because I'll, I'll sense God in the music. Um, and like, who, who can't sense God in a, in a, in a Chopin nocturne or a, a Rachmaninoff piece? Or sometimes I'll be sitting at my desk listening to piano uh, online uh, on YouTube, and I'll just sense God in the music, and I'll just stop. And I'll just listen and absorb the beauty of the music that God has made. So I thank God that he gave me a mom that 
drove me for nine years uh, to those, those lessons. It's a, it's a priceless gift. But the greatest gift that she gave me uh, was a, a love for the Word of God. She actually listened to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, and applied it to her life and into my life. Here's what Jesus said. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, speaking to the devil, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus, when he's tempted by the devil, says, No, devil, you got it all wrong. The most important thing for man to do is feed on the word of God, of God above all things. It's the most important thing. You know, it's that love of the, of the bread, of the word. My mother gave that to me, uh, that great love of the, of the word of God. You know, whenever I wondered where I came from, uh, I had the word. Uh, whenever I wondered uh, who created God, if everything has cause and effect, well, I had the word to give me my answers. Uh, when I needed wisdom about who should be my friends, I had the word. When I needed guidance as I got older about dating, I mean, who should I date? Uh, who should I not date? I, I had the word. Uh, when I wanted to know uh, where time was going, uh, back in the 60s and 70s when it was so tumultuous, it's like, where is time going? I, I had the word. When I pondered uh, how to be a godly young man, how to be a, a wise student or a righteous husband and a father, uh, I had the word to, to teach me. Uh, when I lost family and friends along the way, some tragically, some by natural causes, I had the word of God to bring comfort and wisdom and understanding and loss. You know, when the devil over the years has tried to deceive me by bringing uh, friends into my life, cultic friends, uh, with uh, erroneous heretical viewpoints, I had the word as the standard. You know, when life got me down, the word got me up, and I, I could go on and on. My mom gave me the word. And then, then when I became a believer and followed Christ, well, I didn't just have the Word, then, then I had the Spirit. I had the Holy Spirit to teach me. I love uh, 1 John 2.20. says this. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One as a Christian. And he says, and you know all things. Translated, you, you have the Holy Spirit as a believer. He anoints you and he teaches you. I mean, sometimes I kid around and say, because people are always asking me Bible questions and emailing me Bible questions and calling me with Bible questions, which is fantastic. But who do I call? You know, and well, I call God, and I ask him for wisdom and insight. Uh, my mom gave me uh, the word, uh, and when I came to know God, I got the spirit, uh, and now I understand the value of having the word of God. So how did my mother give me the word, uh, the word of God? Well, uh, she bought me a Bible, and if you're a godly mother, perhaps you bought your child a Bible. My mom gave me a Bible uh, and, and, and challenged me, you need to read this. My very first Bible, uh, which I still have, it's packed in my basement somewhere, uh, is an old black King James Bible with red letter edition. You can totally see what Jesus said. Love it. Uh, I read that as a child, uh, and my mom gave it to me. As, when I got into my teenage years, and my mom saw that I needed a different kind of Bible that was cooler than the black one, uh, she bought me this Bible. I don't know if you remember this particular Bible. Uh, it was called The Way. It had cool young people on the front of it. It had great pictures in, it, in, the, in the thing. You could see snapshots of this and that. and It was cool. I would sit in, in, in church and just look at the pictures and, and, and read and, and enjoyed it. I had that Bible called The Way. Uh, the Way, of course, represents the, what they used to call Christians when the church was first formed. In Acts 19.23, Acts 22.4, Acts 24.14 uh, are all the listings of where they called Christians followers of The Way. Because see, if you knew Jesus, he wasn't a way to God. According to John 14, 6, it was the way to God. And so I, I love that Bible. Uh, when I went to uh, college, Azusa Pacific University, they bought me a Schofield reference Bible. I had that Bible until it fell apart. I think I even showed it to you in the last service. Um, 
that, that, that stayed with me all through, all through college, all through four years at Dallas Seminary, uh, until it actually fell apart and I had to get another Bible. Uh, but my mom gave me those Bibles over the years. Uh, she actually read her Bible. Uh, I believe she had a Harper Study Bible back in the day, and I would see her, you know, on her favorite easy chair reading it, at the kitchen table reading it. She read her Bible. So it wasn't just enough for her to give me the Bible. She read it. And because I see her reading it, I see there's a value in the Word of God. Uh, she entertained my questions about the Bible, and I had a lot of them. I remember uh, reading my Bible one night, that little black uh, King James red letter edition. One night I was reading uh, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. And I was a teenager. I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. Uh, and I had a question about Ezekiel chapter 38. I wanted to know, like, who is Gog and Magog? And uh, what's going to happen to Israel uh, in, the, in, 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 the, in the future? And who are these people attacking Israel? And I was all uh, interested in this as a young man. So I the lights were all out in the house. I was supposed to be asleep, but I was reading my Bible. I, I went in uh, down the hall to my parents' door. I knocked on the door, and then I opened the door. And I, in the moonlight, they were, you know, I could see them underneath the sheets. They're, you know, half near asleep. Uh, and, you know, they're like, what do you want? And I said, well, I was reading my Bible. Um, uh, can I ask you a question about Ezekiel 38? Uh, my dad was kind of half asleep, and my mom's like, you want to know what? Uh, and I, well, I want to know who Gog and Magog are in Ezekiel 38. They, act, they answered my questions. Then I could go back to bed. I mean, so it was an like insatiable desire to know God and know his word. My mom gave me that, and she entertained all those questions. She gave us biblical material to read all the time. It was laying on coffee tables. It was around the house. Uh, there was a magazine back in the day called Present Truth uh, that uh, my parents used to read. It was kind of a heady uh, journal, theological journal. It was way past me back then, but uh, I would read it. Uh, and I still have copies of that particular uh, periodical that I, I enjoyed. Uh, great discussions about what justification by faith is. Uh, I, I kept those things that are near and dear to me. In fact, <laughs> uh, I, I still have this uh, Jesus Christ Solid Rock magazine. This, this, just, this just does it for you right here. I mean, I got this uh, back in, I don't know, probably 70, 73, 74. And it's all about eschatology. It's about the end times. I loved that topic. Uh, and I, you can see I still kept it. I've had this thing for probably 50 years. This is, uh, I could probably sell this on eBay and just retire on some island in the Pacific. But uh, it, it means that much to me because my mom had these kinds of things around the house. So what should a mother that's growing in godliness give to her children? Well, the Word of God. I mean, that's what my mom did. When we would go to people's homes uh, after dinner on Sunday nights for a fellowship, I my best part of the evening wasn't the food. It's when the adults would get off in the, into the living room, and they would all sit and discuss theological things. I, I enjoyed those discussions. I would sit in the, in the living room on the floor and listen to all their discussions about, uh, is this the end of time during the Vietnam War and all the riots and everything? Is, is Christ coming back? And I, I wanted to be part of all that. My mom gave me that hunger for the Word of God. You know, there's no greater thing that you can give a child than, than the Word of God to feed their soul for, it in, for their lifetime. I mean, how would I know back then that that love for the Word of God would become what I would do the rest of my life? I mean, it's, I still am amazed that I get paid to do what I love to do, which is study the Word of God and talk about the Word of God. But that great gift my mom gave me has impacted me for my, my whole life. Uh, in all facets of my life. So it's given me insight for living. It's uh, shown me how to be a, a, a godly uh, husband of a wife of, of 40 years. It's, it's given me wisdom how to raise children and a whole host of things that, that came from a mother, a mother. 
You know, I thank God that we have mothers in our church that are like my mom, who understand the value of the Word of God. It's not just a book that you put on the shelf in your house and it gets dusty. No, it's something that you are entertaining and studying and applying. Your children see that and they begin to emulate that. They see your type and they begin to model their lives after that. What a great gift to give your children. Number two, timely trait number six, I would call, in light of the other ones we've looked at. Uh, my mother was and is a radical disciple. Radical disciple. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 37, here's what Jesus says. Says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Radical discipleship. What is discipleship? Well, it is uh, carrying the cross of Christ throughout your life, and it's not simple. It's not easy. It's the higher path, it's the harder path. You know, it's putting Christ first, yourself last. Uh, it's sacrificing your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations for those of God, to ask God, God, what would you want me to do? Not what do I want to do, but what do you want to do with me? Help me to know your will, not my will. You know, being a disciple, is, it's, it's having a confessional spirit. It's being a person of prayer, understanding the value of prayer. Uh, it's uh, being a person that understands that daily you fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. You understand all these things. It's a disciple of Christ, somebody who follows hard after Christ. That was my mother. A radical disciple. A radical disciple does radical things. When I look back on my mom's life, uh, I've seen her radical steps, and her radical steps of following hard after God uh, have, have, have taught me as a type should, that I've learned that, well, this is how a disciple behaves. I must behave accordingly as I follow hard after Christ. Back in the uh, mid-1980s, uh, she and my father... Um, moved to uh, Poway, uh, North County, San Diego. Uh, actually, they moved next door to Liz, who had become my wife, uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was a strategic move that God blessed in a great way. But they, they loved uh, leaving the desert of the Imperial Valley, moving to the coolness of the coast of uh, San Diego. Uh, they had a great life in Poway. They had a beautiful home. They had a great church, Rancho Bernardo Baptist Church. My dad was, a, was an elder there. Uh, my mom served in the church. They, they had many friends. But but as they enjoyed that, that home that they wanted to like stay in and retire, they loved San Diego, my mom's uh, sister, her older sister Roberta, was uh, battling cancer. Had been for like 12, 13 years. And so uh, Roberta uh, uh, talked with my mother, and they, they talked about my mom maybe moving up there, moving up to Northern California, to the other end of the state. And uh, she and my dad talked about it and decided, uh, well, that's what God wanted them to do. And they did it. Now, bear in mind, my dad was in his mid-50s at the time. He had a great job as a district supervisor with U.S. Customs. He made great money, great friends, everything. They walked away from all of that to go be near uh, my mom's sister battling cancer. What, what a sacrifice. They, they, they sold their home, moved to the other end of the state, uh, and, and followed God when, when they didn't even know what they were going to do when they got there. And I'm sure they had, they had questions when they got there, but, but uh, they no sooner had bought this new home than uh, unexpectedly my aunt passed away. Uh, and that was not supposed to happen because she wasn't doing that bad, but the cancer resurged and, and took her. And then there were my parents were. My dad's left his great job. They left all their friends, their church, everything. And now they're in Stockton, uh, and my aunt's passed away. And they... Had questions, I'm sure, like, should we have moved? Should we have done this? But if you look back now, I mean, time does give you 20-20 vision to understand God's hand. 
if you look back now, that radical move to go care for a sister was used of God in a profound way because they moved to Stockton where I eventually came to pastor their church plant years later. And it's that church plant that I went to for 19 years that uh, positioned me to then pastor this church here. Because while I was in California, living in Stockton, uh, that place where my parents weren't supposed to be, uh, my parents gave Liz and I some money up front because we couldn't afford to buy a home. And they said, here, take this inheritance money and go buy your first home. So we did. And then that particular home, as we had it, uh, in the money that appreciated and we made off of it, actually allowed us over 19 years to, to move to this expensive area. And we didn't even know it at the time. I mean, God's ways indeed are past finding out. When you look at all the threads he weaves together, you know, he takes a godly mother of a radical decision and he blesses it in ways you can't even comprehend. Isaiah 55 uh, verse 8 uh, is a focus of my life much these days uh, because the older you get, the more you can see God tying these loose ends of your life together and they make so much sense. What does God say? He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Are they not? And when my parents had all of that tragedy, God then turned it into triumph in, in profound ways. Profound ways. In uh, 1971, uh, my dad's... Uh, boss and best friend J.D. Williams took a job with U.S. Customs uh, and moved from California to work uh, back here on the East Coast in Washington, D.C. with Nixon. We came back here, I think it was in June, uh, drove here from Southern California to see J.D. in Oweda and to see D.C. Never been back here. What month was it? June. Nice and hot and humid. I remember what we told my parents when we, when we left to drive from Washington, D.C. down to South Carolina to see my dad's uh, ten sisters and his, his, uh, his, uh, his mother. Uh, we told in unison uh, from the backseat of the car, we told my dad this. Never move there. Never move to D.C. And we didn't even have to argue, like, why not? Because we were dripping with sweat. It was humid. We're like, it's unbelievable. And then what did God do? He moved my parents from Southern California to Northern California. He moved us from Arizona to Northern California. I pastored a church there. He positioned us to, to, to actually afford a home to move back here. Then God moves us here. The, the ways of God are so amazing. Uh, when, my, when I first took this job in uh, November of 08, my mom flew out to see us, and I took her downtown to see the Lincoln Memorial, and she just had knee surgery. I had her in a wheelchair. I forgot to bring the foot pedals. And I didn't say I was a perfect son. And I, I pulled her all around the Lincoln Memorial backwards. It was quite the sight. And as I was walking back that night to my car, you know, uh, I, I kept telling her, yeah, you need to keep your feet up, you know. Uh, talk about a core workout. And we stopped on the Potomac uh, near the car, and it was a beautiful evening. Sun was, you know, set. It was dark, and we're standing on the Potomac, and I asked my mom, I said, uh, Mom, do you, do you remember what we as your children told you back in 1972? She started laughing. She goes, yeah, I remember what we tell you? Never move here. I go, don't you find it interesting, almost comical, the ways of God, that he moved through all these events, triumphs and tragedies, to position us back here. It's amazing. That was a radical. And then radical living didn't stop there in her life by any stretch, because now she lives here. <laughs> she lives here. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, 
when, when she got to the point where she was in California and she's, she's getting to where her, her friends have passed on uh, and, and they've, they've moved on uh, and she's getting to where she's alone and my dad's gone and everything, my mom decided that well, a wise strategic move was for her to do something radical and follow God to D.C. to live near us. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So she, she did. And I talked to her about it and um, I said, well, mom, you know, you're, you know, you're 80 years old. You know, you want to sell the house of the swimming pool and everything and move across the United States? And this is what she told me. This is not in the Bible, but it should be. Here's the quote. Son, there comes a time in your life when you have to let go of things and move on. It's true. You've got to let go of things because she's a spiritual woman. See, it's not about the physical things. It's about doing things for God. And she wasn't just coming here to be near us. No, she's all excited about being part of this church that's doing great things for God. She wants to come here and worship. She wants to come here and study and serve. And so she has a, another spiritual game plan. When most people at 80 are thinking, I'm, I'm retiring, going to let the younger people do things for God. No, she's thinking, I'm going to sell my house don't need the pool anymore. Don't need a huge fountain by the pool, two-car garage, a gardener, a pool guy. No, I'm going to go across the country and follow God there. That's radical. I have to ask you a question. If you're a mother today that follows God, when is the last time you did something radical for God? I mean, because that teaches your children. I mean, if you live radically for them, they're going to watch you and follow that type. You know, and we have a church full of women, and I've, I know them, who do radical things for God. And I, I extol you. May your tribe increase. But for those who can say, well, you know, it's, it's been a while since I did something radical for, radical for God. Well, what would that be, that radical thing? You know, when I was thinking about this particular point of being a radical disciple, what greater thing could a mother be? Uh, there's an old hymn uh, that just means a lot to me. And, and uh, when I think about this hymn, it's kind of like the hymn that I was singing in my head as I moved here. But it's a hymn I heard a lot growing up, and I know it means a lot to my mother. And I want to just stop in my sermon, which I don't normally do, and, uh, and just let you listen to it. And maybe God's Spirit will speak to you and, and move you on to a higher place of righteousness by just listening to the words of this old hymn. Let's pause for just a minute. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he
You show me a, a godly woman, a godly mother, and I will show you a woman that that's her theme song. Uh, where you lead me, Lord, I'll follow. And we have a lot of military, government-type wives uh, who followed husbands all over the world, literally. Uh, th that's a godly woman, sacrificing much for family, friends, for the country. But for God, you're following God. We have a lot of business uh, people, uh, women, who've moved. Uh, and may that be your song. You hear God's voice calling you, no matter what your age, 18 or 80, and you say, God, here I am. I'm going to follow you where, you where you lead me. That's a godly mother. May God bless you for being that kind of mother. Last trait, timely trait, number seven. Uh, she cared for the less fortunate, and she still does care for the less fortunate. You know, Jesus puts in perspective uh, what he's going to do on Judgment Day, and it's in Matthew 25, if you care to read it, uh, and it puts our lives in perspective with these words. It's kind of sobering. Here's what Jesus says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, the Davidic throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. These are the Christians and the non-Christians. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Well, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. Uh, when I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. Notice how the righteous answer. Uh, they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And when did we feed you? And when were you thirsty that, you, that we gave you drink? And we don't remember. It says, and when, and when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will then answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. You did it to me. See, selfless, sacrificial actions is what a disciple is, is all about, and it's caring for the less fortunate. That's what it's all about. You know, life for a disciple, is, it's not about them, it's about other people. Life's not about uh, getting, it's about giving. Uh, life is not about being selfish, but it's about being selfless. And Jesus says, on Judgment Day, as I look to reward my saints for their obedience, um, once I separate the sheep and the goats, I'm going to look at the sheep, and I'm going to reward them for well, caring for the things that I cared about. You know, uh, I will be the first to tell you that uh, my mother would, would uh, uh, not be the one who would say anything about the things that she's done. Because uh, we know what the scriptures say. But she can't stop me uh, from talking about the things that she's done because I've learned from them typologically. Matthew 6, Jesus said this, number 1, verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before man. Why? Well, to be noticed by them. He says, uh, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He says, therefore, when you give alms, uh, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might be honored by men. Truly, I say unto you, they have their reward in full. But how should we live? But when you give alms, do not let your hand know what your right hand is doing. Let me do it in private. And so, you know, as a son, I can stop off to the side and say, I've watched a godly woman in action for 62 years, and, and I can say, uh, uh, I can see these things about caring for the, the less fortunate in her, in her life. This would be the last thing she would ever talk about. And that would be the last thing a godly person would say is, hey, look at all the great things I've done. Now, a humble person, as we see from Jesus' pen here, they don't even remember all the things they've done. But when I think about the less fortunate, um, boy, my mother has been there over the years. When I uh, was a, a pastor in, in 
California, I worked at a, I volunteered at, at the youth prison. And I went there for, I don't know, five, six years and did services in the felon ward. And I learned much when I did that. This is a picture of the entrance to the youth facility. Uh, and as the years went along and it got to where I couldn't go there, I, I presented to my church that I needed a team of people to replace me. My mother was one of the ladies who volunteered. It was a youth prison. My mother stepped forward to say, I'll go there. She'd never been to a youth prison before. She asked uh, at one time, uh, as she thought about going there, she said, she thought to herself, what can I as a senior citizen say to a hardened young criminal? And you remember, my dad put people in places like that. She said the first time that she went into that youth prison to replace me, she went with other ladies from the church, older retired ladies, went to the youth prison. It's amazing. So the first time that she went in there and they you went through all the corridors and the big steel doors closed behind her and then you're in the room with all the prisoners, uh, she said it was kind of a sobering experience, kind of uh, an awakening moment. But she did that for many years with other ladies in our church, ministering to those young uh, people uh, that were behind bars for crimes committed. Uh, one time she said she struggled uh, te teaching a young person who had never known a godly parent didn't have a godly mom or a dad, who most of their family members were incarcerated, who had no godly example. She said she struggled with how to explain the love of a heavenly father to a young, young person who had no clue as to what that meant. And she groped and tried to explain the love of God for a, a, young, a young person who had no concept of it. What, what great thing for her to try to give that young person an idea about the love of the heavenly father. She said at another time when she was wondering about whether it was beneficial for her as an old lady to be there, she said after a Bible study, a young girl came over to her and told her, I wish you were my mother. I never had a mother like you. See, that young lady saw a godly person in action and totally understood, I, I need that in my life. We've got to thank God for mothers who understand what the gospel is all about. Uh, that once you are redeemed, it's all about caring for the less fortunate. You know, our church, uh, last week, we had a food drive. Uh, and we had uh, two days of collecting food for the poor. And we had a lot of mothers out there bringing their cars here, dropping off food. Uh, and so much food, it took two extra trailers just to haul it all to the, to the centers to give away to the poor. We have a lot of women here, like my mother, who understand what it means to be a godly woman of, uh, before the Lord. You're sacrificial. And for that, I am thankful as your pastor. Uh, now, I challenge those who, who, who don't know Christ. Uh, what greater thing can you be as a person than a woman of God, a, per, a person who walks with God? And he's but a prayer away. And once you allow him into your life, he will radically change uh, how you are a mother to your children. And you'll become a type of great things in their life that will impact them for a lifetime. Might you kneel before him today and trust him. For those mothers who do trust him, I pray God's greatest blessings on you. And may this truly be a Mother's Day to remember as you remember all the traits that you've used to reach your children and your husband and family and friends for Christ. May he increase your impact this day. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for mothers. Uh, they are such a significant person in our life. Uh, who can even place, place a value upon what they mean to us? We thank you for just the opportunity to stop and consider the traits of a godly righteous woman. Might we learn from them, and might they completely be concepts that change us into your likeness. We thank you for this day. May your face shine upon those mothers 
in, in a profound fashion that are associated with us. And may we pause today, especially if, if we're the ones that have been impacted by them in a godly way, might we pause to give them thanks for doing such a great work in our lives to introduce us to what it means to follow hard after you. Amen.